What's up, everybody? This is Miles Turner, the Indiana Pacers. You're listening to the Pacers Podcast. Be sure to follow at Pacers on Twitter. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Pacers Podcast, the only Australian NBA podcast with a bias toward the Indiana Pacers. Joined by Justin this week and Alex, but not the usual Alex. Alex Golden from Setting the Pace. Welcome to the uh, the Pacers Podcast. Hey, thanks, guys, for having me. Looking forward to uh, talking Pacers basketball with you. Yeah, it's been uh, been a long time coming. I think uh, we've both been podcasts for some years now and probably uh, been listening to each other's work a little bit. And uh, it's good to see that a small market team can have a few different media outlets and podcasts following it and being able to give opinions and, uh, you know, drive uh, a few more fans to be watching the product. No, absolutely. I think it's great that you guys in Australia uh, are, are huge Pacer fans. And you guys were telling me you get to catch a second half on lunch and have to catch up on the first half later. So, you know, uh, I think it's definitely really, really cool how you guys are, are so in touch with this team and in tune with this team, considering that, you know, they're they're miles away from where you guys live. Yeah, and we're also miles away from uh, contending for any kind of Eastern <laughs> Conference or championship right now. Which, <laughs> you know, it feels like they're as far away as we are from uh, from Gamebridge Fieldhouse this year. It's it's a weird year to be a Pacers fan. Last year was kind of started off well and was disjointed. This year's been really kind of depressing the whole time. So um, about eight days to, left to the trade deadline. We were talking earlier in the week about how this is a really transformative period in the mm-hmm. franchise. It feels like there's going to be some really key decisions made. What's your take? Do you think this is, you know, a key week in the franchise's history that will could set up the next five years? I mean, it's possible. I think looking at the guys that, um, <clears throat> excuse me, the guys that, are, are out there to be rumored. I mean, obviously there's, you're talking about the longest tenure pacer, Miles Turner. You're talking about DeMontis Sabonis, a two-time all-star. And then another guy is Karis LeVert, who's barely been here a year, if not, if that even. So, um, you know, it's, it's definitely a weird dynamic. And then of course you got role players that could be moved as well. But, you know, I think, I think really what it comes down to is just this pacer team has had three coaches in the last three years. And this roster has just kind of regressed. And I think part of that has to do with the injuries which is a little bit of a, of, a, of a knock on the front office for going out and, and, and trading for and acquiring players that have long injury history uh, attached to their name. So, you know, I think definitely this is kind of the crossroads for this group, but I don't really know what exactly they'll be able to get back and how much it'll really change the direction of the franchise. But, you know, I think that this is the, a, a little bit of a rebuild. I don't know how much it'll actually happen, but that's kind of where I'm thinking, you know, this could be a, a good retool to kind of help get the Pacers back on that right trajectory of, of getting back into the playoffs and hopefully winning a playoff series. Yeah, I was going to say, um, you mentioned about Pacers targeting injured players to bring in. We, we've kind of brought that up on the show for quite some time, kind of like the money ball with the Oakland Athletics, the movie with the baseball, bringing in undervalued mm-hmm. players. And you know, we're, we're a great fan of Kevin Pritchard, and I know you are personally. I've heard you on Setting and Pace. Obviously, he's been on your show and ours, you know, great towards the fans. But how do you how do you grade his performance so far? And I guess how much telling is the next two weeks going to be? We were saying last night if he stands pat and doesn't make a deal, that's going to not look good on KP. Where, <laughs> where do you think he's at and where do you think he, he might be graded in two weeks? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think a lot of people are looking at the recent history of Kevin Pritchard and 
and being pretty negative about him. And I understand why um, the draft history has not been great outside of this year's class and this year's class really looks like, you know, even on the guys that were, went undrafted and got signed to two way deals, it looks like they did a pretty good job on getting talent in this year. Now, how much did Rick Carlisle have an impact on that? I'm not sure, but I definitely think that's something to keep an eye on moving forward because, you know, Carlisle, there's been stories out there, of certain guys he's had his eye on over certain guys that the Mavericks took and Dennis Smith Jr. Donovan Mitchell was one of those big stories that came out. So I think that's interesting to keep an eye on, but in terms of Kevin Pritchard, look, I, I know that he's went out and traded or, or gotten players with injury history, but think about what he gave up to get him. Like, you know, you took on TJ Warren, plus got the 32nd overall pick for cash considerations. You traded a first round pick for Malcolm Brogdon, you know? So it's, it's not like you really gave up a whole lot to go out and get the players that we've gotten. So I think when it comes to trading wise, he's done a great job. Now there are a couple times you can look when Victor Oladipo went down in that 2019, 2018, 2019 season and the Pacers held on to their roster, brought in Wesley Matthews and tried to just kind of like see what they could do in the playoffs. And he gave those guys a chance. I think he might've missed out there on possibly moving a lot of those players to continuing teams to get more help back. You know, you look at Darren Collison, Thad Young, Bojan Bogdanovic, all those guys could have easily been traded as they were expiring. I think same thing last year for Doug McDermott. This is a guy that you could have moved off of as well, because really, I mean, I don't think the Pacers ever thought they had a great chance of bringing him back without going over the luxury tax or going into the luxury tax, which is something they don't want to do. So I think he could be a little bit more aggressive in season wise than he has been in previous years. But at the same time, I, I think he's done a good job, not a great job. There's obviously been some misses. I think that happens with every, every GM. I think holding the TJ Leaf thing over his head is something that we love to do. It's, it's almost become a meme at this point, similar to the uh, I love this little team stuff from, from Herb Simon. But, you know, at the end of the day, I put this out yesterday. I said Herb Simon's a good owner. Pritchard Buchanan and the Pacers front office. It's a good front office. It's just everybody seems to have recency bias and say, well, this team sucks. They've regressed and blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, I mean, the fact that Kevin Pritchard fired the guy that he thought was going to be the next big thing coaching wise in Nate Bjorkren because he was so bad. I mean, the hiring there just shows you that's a terrible move on Pritchard, but he was able to correct it by bringing in Carlisle and, uh, you know, Carlisle's kind of showcasing, hey, your team needs to be upgraded because it's not fitting this modern style of basketball. So um, to wrap it up, I'd probably said give him a B, B minus around that era. You know, I, I don't think he's been terrible, but I, I don't I do think he deserves criticism for some of the misses that he's had because, you know, he's had some big ones. And I think that that's kind of set this franchise back just a little bit. It's it's interesting as well. The reports coming out of, you know, Sham Sharani are around rebuilding and, you know, those strong terms that everyone kind of holds on to over the last few months. We're just waiting for three trades in a day and everyone to be <laughs> traded and, you know, five first round picks to come in. I mean, there's one thing to sort of say KP has been really made really good moves. The next stage of his GM career the question that you have to kind of ask yourself, Justin, is will he have license to make the moves that he feels he needs to make to retool this franchise and to make them, you know, competitive? I think Herb Simon clearly does not want to take a step back in order to eventually take two steps forward. So it's, I think that's probably the concern from the fan base that seems to permeate through social media that we see a lot of, you know, are we going to be able to identify the fact that, we need to take a step back in order to take steps forward. Yeah, you're, you're right. And, you know, Alex, you mentioned it there about Herb Simon's, you know, this little club 
comment, this little team comment. I know that infuriated you as much as everyone and everyone was annoyed. But I don't know. I've, I've kind of got a new grasp on it. Maybe maybe he just tried to have Kevin Pritchard's back. Um, he didn't want to kind of throw Kevin Pritchard into the fire of the media saying, look, this team does need to improve. That's the way I'm kind of telling myself because, yeah, if, if he does believe what he said, that's just infuriating. Um, but, yeah, my stance, I'll probably give KP a B, B- minus as well. I think this next two weeks it could hover towards the A or hover towards the D um, <laughs> wow. with what happens here. So, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be really interesting. Is there one player, Alex, that you're – Really honing in that you'd say, you know, apart from the standard Steph Curry, KD type players, which the Pacers would never get, but is there one player you'd you'd love to see in the Pacers uniform in two weeks' time across the NBA? You'd love to see them trade for? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, knowing what's what's available out there doesn't seem like a whole lot as teams are going to be more buyers and, you know, sellers this year, which does work in the Pacers' favor. Now, you're looking at who this Pacers team is and what they're willing to give up. So, a lot of reporting has been kind of like back and forth on the Sabonis stuff. It seems like, oh, but everything that comes back is an agreement. The Pacers are asking for a lot, and it doesn't seem like teams are going to be willing to give up that much to get him. So that's why we've kind of, you know, looked at Bo Turner and Lavert here as guys that could be the more likely to be moved because that's what's been reported. With Turner's injury, I mean, that puts a big question mark on everything. And then you're looking at Lavert, And so a lot of these guys in the Pacers roster, they're all like, role players in a sense, or they're like B-level players. They're not all-stars outside of Sabonis. So if you're looking at getting somebody back at, at equal value, it's just probably going to be hard to do. So one thing we've talked a lot about is possibly moving Lavert to Cleveland and getting back either Colin Sexton or Isaac Okoro in that deal, along with Ricky Rubio's expiring contract to make the salaries work. And so I think, you know, if you get yourself a young player like that, if you could somehow get PJ Washington out of Charlotte, you know, just any way you could get some maybe guys that have been in the league for a couple of years that might not fit on their current roster as currently constructed. But Hey, you think similar to Victor Oladipo and Sabonis when they traded Paul George for him, you you try to find one of those lottery level players that didn't work out with their team, but you're going to give them a chance here. I mean, obviously fans would, I think be a little upset about Colin Sexton knowing that he's injured and going after another injury prone player, um, but I do think PJ Washington, Isaac Okoro, uh, if you guys have watched this team all year long, I know last, the last game against the Clippers was exciting, but you know, most of the time our perimeter defense has been hot garbage. So I think going out and getting Isaac Okoro, a defensive minded wing would be really nice. But you know, if you're, if you're looking at more of an established player, I think a guy that I'm probably higher on than most is Gordon Hayward. I understand the contract is a little bit high and I understand that he's a little bit older and he is injury prone, but with Carlisle here, you have to realize this team is probably going to try to win games still moving forward. And I, I think you can see how much Charlotte has been impacted by the positive play of Gordon Hayward. And so if you're able to pair Gordon with Sabonis, I think that's pretty two really smart basketball players in the front court that could help you win. You add TJ Warren to that mix. And then the, the rookie class this year, and then possibly Brogdon and Duarte. I mean, I, I can see why the Pacers would be intrigued by that, especially making them a more modern style of basketball team. Wait, what is the obsession with Haywood on in the States? Because this is, you know, we're on the other side of the world, right? Yeah, yeah. We and we are one hundred percent the opposite to that view. Like, I, yeah. I think- there is nothing that would infuriate us more than a Gordon Haywood trade, I think, because 
what it signals to us, and this is just our perspective, right? What yeah, it signals man. to us is we're willing to pay a guy $30 million a year for the next, you know, two and a half seasons. Yeah. And it, it signals that we're not willing to, once again, take, to, take a step back in order to take steps forward. It seems like the franchise wants to shoot for sixth as opposed to <laughs> build for third, second, first, build, build a young core that can compete. I think the, the, the thinking behind a Haywood, because you'd have to obviously give up probably the Vert and Turner and, you know, you eventually um, go with Sabonis and Haywood and, and Brogdon is that you'd yeah. be probably trotting out a, a pretty slow basketball team that maybe fits together a hell of a lot better than the current one does. I think we mm-hmm. can all acknowledge that it'd be a better fit for Sabonis and Brogdon. Um, but are you winning, a ch- are you competing for a championship with those three guys? I think is, is probably the, the concern that we would have, Justin, like I know that you've been very, very vocal with, uh, <laughs> with your Gordon Hayward uh, opinion. Yeah, I just like I just can't stomach if he'd be our like highest paid player in franchise history at kind of his age and his injury history, like you did mention, Alex. But you know, I get he's got Indiana ties, yeah. so you know, Indiana fans do you know want to see players in their state succeed. But um, yeah, I, I'm in the same case. I, it'd be difficult to see. I think I'm just all in on a rebuild, Alex. I, even if they traded, like, you know, there's Sabonis for Fox rumours. For me, you know, some Pacer fans love that. For me personally, it's just a sideways move a bit. It doesn't move mm-hmm. the needle. With We're still going to be around that, what, 8th to 12th seed again. Like, what's the point? I just think it's time the Pacers rebuild. So, for me, this trade deadline coming up, um, I I think the pay- Alex A.K. Riley mentioned on last night's episode, I think Pacers need to take two steps back to take three steps forward in the future. Does, does that kind of make sense, Alex, or you, you disagree? No, no I, I, I do agree. And I think a lot of fans agree with that sentiment. I think a lot of fans would be okay with them going through like two or three years of just not great basketball and then trying to build back up for, you know, hopefully a playoff contending team. But I don't think that's the way that Herb Simon wants to go about building it. So, you know, when I first threw out ideas, I threw out some young players that could make more sense in doing that, right? With the Okoros, with the PJ Washingtons. But at the same time, you got to remember, you're paying Rick Carlisle $7.25 million a year to coach this team. And so he doesn't want to rebuild. He doesn't want to tank. So that's why I think the Pacers are going to make, uh, like Herb Simon said, when he talked to those five reporters, I want to rebuild on the fly. So that's why you throw out the idea, and I threw out the idea of Hayward because, one, it's been rumored again. Uh, two, it's something that they looked to do just two years ago and, and when they were trying to trade Turner and McDermott plus whatever to Boston for him, and, and Danny Ainge kind of just soured on that deal. And I'm not really sure what his reasoning was because what they ended up getting instead was Evan Fournier for like half a season, and that's what they got instead of possibly Holiday, McDermott, and Turner. So – don't really know what he was thinking there. But with that being said, I mean, I get it. He made a lot more money going to Charlotte than had the Pacers done that deal with Boston. I think he would have made around $25 million a year instead of like the upper, you know, $29, $30 million around that. And so I get it. It's a lot of money. But here's what I'm saying. You know, it doesn't really, for me personally, has nothing to do with him being from Indiana. I just think that he can play that he can play the three. And I also think he can play the four, the small ball four. And I think one aspect of Gordon Hayward's game that gets overlooked and underappreciated is his defensive ability. If you look at what he did 
when he was in Utah and then in Boston. I mean, he was a big part of their team's success when he was healthy, more so in Utah, obviously, than Boston, because Boston had some weird years there. But even last year, I think Charlotte was the four seed before he went down with that ankle injury, and then they fell down to a play-in game. So I think he kind of raises your floor a little bit, the same with Sabonis and, and Brogdon. I mean, you're talking about three quality guys, and like you said, they probably fit better on paper together than Turner and Lavert. I think you could actually run some of your offense, too, through Gordon Hayward because he is similar to Sabonis, an offensive connector. And, you know, he's not great. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying he's a great player. He's not the savior of the team. But I think if you got him with this team, they would be a playoff team for sure. And I think that they could compete in a first-round series. Do I think they'd win it? Probably not, depending on who they're playing. But this is kind of the risk you take. But if you were to able to get him and then possibly get a top-eight draft pick here, and potentially if you could flip Brogdon for something that's a little bit more appealing, I think fans have kind of soured on Brogdon as well. I mean, you've got pieces here that fit better, which is what I think the ultimate goal is moving forward, is just to try to get better, and uh, hopefully it turns into something. I think we can all agree this team doesn't make sense right now and they need no. gigantic changes to make yeah. like it just you watch this team at full capacity even without Warren and they don't fit. You know, some guys like to play fast, other guys like to play slow, some guys playing inside at the same time. I mean, you know, Levert and Brogdon can't really work out who need who wants to handle the ball the most and and who's initiating the plays. And it just seems like you know, we've got value for everything we've had to trade, but we mm -hmm. haven't really thought a hell of a lot about how all that value fits together. The moment we've been waiting for since September is finally here. In honor of the big game, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56, is giving new customers 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in New York, meaning you can bet from almost a third of the country. If Sportsbook isn't in your state yet, play DraftKings Daily Fantasy Football Contest for Super Bowl 56. New customers can get a free shot at a $1 million top prize with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app, use promo code TBPN and get 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56. 21 plus minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Void where prohibited. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Tennessee, call or text the TN Redline, 1-800-889-9789. In Connecticut, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In New York, call 887-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. Yeah, that's a great point. And it's an interesting thing too, because like, I feel like the idea of Levert with this team makes a ton of sense. But in all actuality, Lavert is a little bit of a ball stopper. He's turnover prone. He's not a good shooter. And honestly, the worst part about his game is his defense. So, you know, you're talking about a guy that's just, he gets beat constantly on the defensive side of the ball because he, I, I don't know if part of it's just because of the injury, if it's because this team has been in rebuild mode now since December, since those rumors came out and he's just kind of like ready for that deadline to get here so he can, be more energized to play on a team that's in a winning situation. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that factor into it for me with him, but, you know, Brogdon, I mean, this is what I, I posted a picture of how many injuries he's had since being on the team about, I think last week or something. And it was like almost like 20 injuries that he's dealt with 
And some of them have been the same, but a lot of them have been different. Like we're talking finger injuries, hamstring, Achilles, you know, concussion. It's just like so many different things with him. And a lot of them are just unlucky, but a lot of them are just like this guy's an injury prone player. So a lot of fans very disappointed that he was extended in the off season, but I didn't freak out too much about that. Cause I think that helps trade leverage wise, what you could trade with him. Cause I mean, Brogdon on the right team can be a really good player. And I think personally, if Brogdon would be more open to accepting playing off ball, he would be a better player in, in today's NBA, but he wants to be a point guard. And I think, you know, the Pacers don't really have a better option because look, without him, we can see where the team misses his leadership in a sense out there on the floor. Uh, I don't think he's a perfect player by any stretch of the mean, but you know, unless you're getting maybe a Jaden Ivey or maybe a Ty Ty Washington in the draft to kind of look at moving forward with that point guard position, I don't really know what other options are out there that are going to be much better than what you have with Brogdon. I think that's the problem. There's not a lot of point guards available. And so that's why I'm also kind of intrigued by the idea of what Colin Sexton could be. It's a great point. And I was going to ask you, you did kind of answer it in itself, but I listened to your podcast not long ago with Scott Agnes and he touched on, you know, the Pacers rang Philadelphia to try and do the Ben Simmons deal again, saying, would you be yeah. interested in Brogdon for Simmons? And that was really interesting, you know, before Brogdon signed his extension. Where where do you stand, like, yes or no? Do you think Brogdon is the point guard of the future of this team? That's a tough question. I mean, I think I think more than likely he is. He is for the, for the near future. But the distance future, I wouldn't say – I wouldn't put my money on it because – I mean, really, it just depends on who they draft. I know I keep coming back to that. I'm not trying to use it as a cop-out. But if you draft, I mean, I'm serious. If you guys get like the – if we get the third or fourth pick and you think Jaden Ivey can be that next guy, that I mean, I know a lot of people want to compare him to John Morant. I think that's a little unfair to, to Jaden Ivey because John Morant is a sensational player, like, you know, generational talent, right? So yes. it's not really fair to put that pressure on him, but he does have a lot of the same skill sets. His shot's a little bit too low right now. I think he's going to have to work on that. But the athleticism's there. And, you know, he comes from a, a great coaching background. So I'm not sure exactly where Rick Carlisle sees this whole thing going. But, you know, the, the biggest problem for me is Brogdon's supposed to be the leader of the team. And Scott Agnes reported, I believe it was on Thursday in his article, that, you know, they're having locker room issues again this year and that yeah. the front office has had to come in and address them. And so maybe it's – part of the locker room you know I think Brogdon might be able to be more of a leader with a new group of guys that probably would help not having the same voices in there but at the same time it's like is he truly that leader that they need in the locker room I don't know if he is so I mean if they've already been willing to look at trading him I think Jay Michael even said it last year out of Turner and Brogdon Brogdon was the one more likely to be moved from Jay Michael last year in the offseason so I don't necessarily think the Pacers are tied or attached at the hip to him in any sort of way. But I also think this is one of the best options they have. So, you know, a long way of saying it, I think right now you just kind of roll with the punches and then see what you get. But uh, if I'm in the Pacers and I'm Kevin Pritchard and I'm, and I'm making the decisions, I'm definitely keeping the phone line open to see how I can upgrade this point guard position because, you know, he's a, he's a fine player, but the biggest uh, ability that a player can have is his availability. And I just don't, you know, think with Brogdon missing about 30% of, the, of his games here since being brought here, uh, you know, 70% is greater than 30, but 30% is a big chunk of games to be missing. 
Yeah, it's it's the story of the season, as you say. You know, Brogdon, a little bit of injury history. Warren, injury history. Levert, injury history. You know, we, we seem to favour trying to get that value and then we're surprised when it doesn't work out and we don't see a lot of a lot of the players uh, together. Um, you know, I think the Turner Sabonis debate has been happening for ever since the two of them were on the same team and in the same starting lineup. Um, this podcast is opened with Miles Turner in our intro. So we, yeah, yeah. we clearly put our flag down in Miles Turner uh, land very, very early on. Um, but I think even we are at the point where just like you said there about Malcolm Brogdon, I think it's time that Miles Turner gets another opportunity with a mm-hmm. different group of guys in the locker room and a different voice uh, on the bench and a different infrastructure and a different franchise because it doesn't seem like he is able to succeed in Indiana given both his attitude and the attitude of the team as well and the chemistry issues that have been happening. Um, my, my question for both of you is, should we keep either big man i mean sabonis at the moment his value um before entering protocols was extremely high and you heard that sacramento was interested in him and sacramento's got a lot to trade right now turner obviously with the foot injury it's unlikely he gets traded in the next week because it's unlikely he's retained his value i mean we've seen i brought this up on on the previous show but we've seen isaiah jackson and and the way that the paces and a rick carlisle team plays with a guy that can run the rim and you know that can alley-oop and play that faster more dynamic style and turner and sabonis are, are not those sorts of players they're different sorts of players so justin i'll start with you like is it actually worth completely changing the front court transforming it completely even though it's maybe a controversial thought yeah, it's a good point to bring up. I think a lot of these, like we've been asking Alex as well, a lot of these are like, what do you think should happen? But then, you know, what will the Pacers do? Yeah. <laughs> and I, I cannot see Sabonis being traded. I just can't. No, not at all. We, we've seen him lose Oladipo, who was an all-star. We've seen him lose Paul George, who was an all-star. And then the fans cry, oh, we can't keep an all-star on this team. Um, you know, I don't think Sabonis is going to be selected to an all-star team this year but um it, it'll happen again if we if we lose the bonus you'll have fans crying um that we can't keep an all-star in the, in this in this state so um i'm the same as as you adam though I, I believe it is time for miles to to go um obviously you can tell he's not happy with being a pacer like by these cryptic tweets and you know he can word it however he wants but if you <laughs> if you've got half a brain and can read between the tea leaves you can tell he's not happy being here and and who would i mean alex we mentioned i know you're you're probably not the biggest miles turner stand but you know if you play basketball and you're not playing in the fourth quarter you're not going to be happy are you no 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 i mean i get that i get that side of it too um you know and turner it's it's a weird dynamic too with your with turner because i felt like you know when, when Paul George left, like I was super excited for Turner to get that opportunity. I was all in on Turner. And then you saw that Cavaliers series and you saw Sabonis just kind of shine in his first year here in the playoffs, just because of his passing ability and his two man game with Oladipo where Turner sometimes could, can get a little bit outshined by the opposing team's big man. And I think in that series, you know, it would have been fine, but that game seven, Tristan Thompson, hadn't played all series long and he comes in in game seven and just abuses Turner on the glass. And so I think that was the big knock against miles early on was just his physicality being a little bit more thin framed and Sabonis yep. being more of the banger. 
And then over, over time, you know, we saw them play together. And I know that it was a, it's a very weird, weird thing to do because you don't see a lot of bigs, two, two centers playing together. I know that the Cavaliers are doing that, but I don't think the Pacers have anybody at the, at the talent level of an Evan Mobley on their roster. Like I know that Sabonis might right now might technically be better, but you know, Mobley, his trajectory is like so much higher than Sabonis is obviously being the, the third overall pick in the draft. So with Turner, though, I think my biggest frustration was when he came out. I mean, he had been on some other podcasts. He was on Ball's Lives podcast with Zach Noble and Bruce Williams. He was also on Michael Scotto's podcast, and he voiced a lot of frustrations about wanting a bigger role. And, you know, I kind of understand that sentiment, but at the same time, wherever Turner is traded to, he's going to have a very similar role. He's going to be anchoring a defense, and he's going to be used seldomly in pick and pop situations because. He's not really more. He's not really a pick and roll type of player. Um, he can do it at times, but I think really that's the that's the problem. He's not a back to the basket guy either, which that's not necessarily important in today's NBA game as much. But I just feel like he's not going to have a much more uh, much bigger role wherever else he's traded to, or if he even stays here. I just don't think he's a guy you build around. He's a good complimentary piece, but I don't I don't think he can handle the offensive load kind of like Sabonis does, just because. I think Sabonis is unique in his ability to be more of an offensive connector. Um, I think we've seen that throughout the past couple of years, his ability to find those open shooters, to have great chemistry with some of these role players and elevate their floor where, where Turner, you know, defensively, he's saving a lot of people's butts because our perimeter defense is so bad, but at the same time, you know, uh, he, he's not a, he's not a terrific three point shooter. That's kind of thrown out there a lot of times career wise, he's 35% which yeah. is good. It's average. It's not great. But a lot of people are like, oh, three and D big guy. It's like, well, he doesn't shoot like 39, 40%. That's not who he technically is. I mean, there's spans where he can do that, but he's, he's, he's the top shot blocker in the league. If you want to say the best. And I, I mean, I can't argue that from statistics wise, but he's one of the best. And I think that that can be really helpful to a team. Um, but I just, I just feel like, like you guys said, his time here with Indiana just seems to have run its course. And uh, you know, I, I don't think he's a bad player, and I hope people don't come across thinking I think he sucks or anything like that, because I don't. I just don't think he's the right fit here in Indiana. Yeah, I think we can all agree that it's just his time to move forward. I yeah. think at some point you get to a point with a team and a, and a player where the marriage no longer works and you need to not be afraid to just you know let go and, and try something new. And, and we're definitely there. We're probably six or 12 months past that with Miles Turner. Yeah. No, for sure. I was going to say real quick, you know, with the Hayward stuff, like you have to think about it. A guy that's heard his name in trade rumors for two years straight now, probably longer than that. You have to wonder like, oh yeah, why wouldn't he be a little bit frustrated? I don't blame him for coming out and saying stuff. You know, it is what it is at this point, but the cryptic tweets are the stuff I don't really appreciate. Yeah. Uh, you know, just, you've already, you've already came out. You basically said you wanted to be traded if, if Domas wasn't, then you backtrack that. And go on Instagram wearing your Boom Baby 1994 Pacers shirt with your yellow pants, and then you delete that post eventually. So it's kind of like, where, where's your head at, man? Like, yeah, yeah. you're you're like, I think he's such a he's such a pleaser mm. that he doesn't like to upset people, but at the same time, he can't control how he really feels. Oladipo and, was that. Oladipo was a pleaser. Yeah, definitely. And Oladipo would tell you what you wanted to hear, and I think Turner kind of does the same thing. You know, I just remember I always go back to when he was with Team USA and they were playing France and he was talking like, oh, I should have won defensive player of the year. You know, I'm right there with Gobert. 
Well, then he goes out and gets dominated by Gobert. And it seems like a lot of times when he comes out and says stuff, he doesn't really back it up on court with his play. And I think that's where a lot of fans that don't like him are frustrated because it's like you want to talk a big game, but you can't go out there and back it up. Now, I think a lot of that has to do with some of the opportunities that he's been given. Obviously, we've talked about that a lot. But I do think he could have asserted himself more offensively in this Carlisle system. And I know there's I pointed it out one game against the Knicks. Uh, Sabonis was getting like double teamed and Miles just stood out there. And it was Miles men that double teamed and Domas looked at him. and was like, hey, cut to the basket. I'll give it to you. Like Sabonis is a willing passer. It's not like Sabonis is like a ball hog not giving Miles the ball. It's just not in the flow of the offense. So I think there's times where Turner could just be a little bit more assertive, more aggressive on offense than he actually is. Um, just because, you know, he, he feels like he has to spread the floor when I think he could do more than that. Yeah, definitely. And we'll, we'll wrap it up with one last question, Alex. I know you said you're re- recording your own podcast before this, so I, yeah. I'm sorry you've had to talk paces basketball. No, it's cool. Up. It's cool. Uh, your life tonight, it's uh, very much appreciated. But I guess from us being in Australia, I mean, Adam, myself, and Alex are probably the only three Pacer fans in Australia, so it's our little connection. But what's the – we don't see the Indiana media, you know, the Indy Star, what's in the newspaper and all that. With, with the Colts season finishing it up, what, what's the mood around the Pacers in Indiana? I've, I've travelled to Indiana. Um, I've, I've been in the heydays when we were going in the Eastern Conference Finals, and the, the buzz around the city, around the team, was absolutely amazing. I, I loved it. But yeah. – I, I assume the buzz isn't there anymore around around the team. What, what's the what's the mood like downtown? Oh yeah, it's it's pretty dead right now. I mean, even talk radio. There's been a lot of time talking about what the Colts should do with their future. You know, they got a little bit of a, a, a talking about with Isaiah Jackson having the big game, obviously against the Clippers and some of the young guys. But I think right now everybody it, it seems that way for the most part. Most Pacer fans, um, in terms of in Indiana, they're they're wanting this team to develop these young guys while also racking up losses. Um, anytime, the, anytime the starters are healthy, everyone's like, no. And then, like, we know Carlisle is going to play him. So that is, uh, that is an interesting di- dynamic as well. But I, I think overall, fans are just ready to see a rebuild uh, and, and, a, and kind of a tank for this season, kind of throw this season out the door, get as high of a draft pick as you can, and then maybe re- reset for next season. I think that would be the, the, the sentiment I'm getting around here from Pacer fans. It's definitely our sentiment. I mean, we've been saying it since probably it became clear that we were not a playoff contender and we were barely a play-in contender, um, Mm -hmm. which is not where we predicted this season would go. We predicted that we would be around that sort of seven, eight, nine seed and and kind of sticking around there. But it's just been, uh, it's, it's been abject failure from the franchise. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I had him, I had him finishing fifth on my podcast. So yeah, yeah, I'm far off there. But, but you know, it, it's all right. I'm not mad about it. Like, you know, they can win some games here and there, but I'm, I wish that they would just continue to kind of tank, stealth tank, whatever you want to call it, to yeah. try and get a higher draft pick. Because if you can get a superstar in that draft, this team could be right back in the playoffs in two to three years. I mean, look at the Grizzlies. Look at what they did with a couple of years of being high in the draft, you know. It works. I just I just don't know if the, the ownership is bought into that. But we'll, uh, we'll see what happens. We certainly will. It's going to be a huge eight or nine days in the franchise. Alex Golden, uh, you can find Alex Golden on Setting the Pace. I think uh, right now you're writing for 8.9 seconds as well online. Yes, sir. Yep. So uh, you can read Alex. You can follow him on Twitter as well. Thank you so much for joining the Paceroos. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. And best of luck to you guys on the podcast. Thanks so much. 